Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. <clears throat> My sons and I got into a debate a while back about rocks. The question was whether rocks are inanimate objects or living things. While this question might seem easily answered on the superficial level, it took a surprisingly existential turn. We began by stating the obvious. Obviously, rocks are inanimate objects because they don't do anything. This is where the conversation took an unexpected turn, as we then discussed the role rocks play in creation and in human existence. Indulge me, I beg you, for a moment as I invite you down the path of where that conversation went. Here's what they came up with. Rocks change shape as rough edges are smoothed by water and wind. Rocks give waterfalls their gushing formation. Rocks chisel materials into tools and weapons. Rocks build homes and walls. Rocks smash windows and injure bodies. Rocks keep papers from blowing away in the wind. Rocks are painted by children who then make them into pets. Rocks split open melons and coconuts to feed hungry bellies. Rocks are slung in warfare and have even killed giants. Rocks are piled to retain heat and in order to cook. Rocks are carved with dates and made into cornerstones for important buildings. Rocks are inscribed with names and used to mark the resting places of the dead. Rocks contain fossils and clues to ancient history and climate. Rocks mark our paths and roads for our journeys on this planet. Rocks become jewelry and adorn our ears and necks and fingers and noses. Rocks are erected into monoliths by ancient peoples to offer mysterious worship. Slabs of rock contain shapes carved out by master sculptors. Rocks conduct tranquil melodies as water bubbles over them in brooks and streams and fountains. Rocks can crush 
or be crushed when placed under too much pressure. Rocks sometimes are thrown in hypocrisy when faults are found in others and never in oneself. Rocks build new spaces for student gathering and great halls for learning and massive dorms for living, many of which now sit at least half empty in these pandemic times. Sometimes rocks are blasted apart by great derecho winds resulting in damage and devastation. Giant rocks seal ancient tombs that are rolled away at Easter resurrection. For Jesus to call Peter a rock is not insignificant. Jesus is not saying, Peter, you are as dumb as a box of rocks, although at times Peter seems to be. Jesus is also not saying, I will build my church on this inanimate object. Jesus is referencing the very image in which Peter is created. Peter is a living rock carved from a living rock, a living God. To call Peter a rock is not to say that he is steady or constant or unchanging. While it's true, sometimes Peter is as strong as a boulder, like in our gospel for this morning when Peter gets it and he professes Jesus to be the son of the living God. At other times, Peter crumbles under pressure into gravel like some rocks do, like when he panics while walking to Jesus on the water or when he denies ever even having known Jesus on the night of his crucifixion. One thing we know for sure, whether Peter is a boulder or a pile of gravel, he is never a perfect rock. But perfection is not the goal for rocks. Eternal transformation is. Nor is the church perfect, which is built upon Peter's shoulders. The church, as you know, is every bit as flawed as Peter, whether injected by scandal or greed or lust, whether hijacked by a political agenda, whether tainted by homophobia, patriarchy, or misogyny. The church is every bit as imperfect as Peter, and yet Jesus still builds it. Why? Because Jesus knows he is building his church upon Peter's shoulders, not Peter's church. Jesus knows he is the cornerstone of this church, not Peter. Jesus knows he is the stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And why is that? Because if it were up to Peter, or any human for that matter, it would be a church built on judgment and exclusion. Jesus' church, on the other hand, is a church built on grace and inclusion. Bishop Philip Haugen, who was Bishop of the Southeastern Iowa Synod when I was ordained, once shared his nightly bedtime prayer with a bunch of us new pastors. It was short and sweet, and it went like this. Good night, God. This is your church, not mine, and I am tired. Amen. Peter is not Jesus. You are not Jesus, nor am I. The church of which we are a part is not the church of Sarah, or the church of Roger, the church of Linda, the church of Doug. It is the church of Jesus Christ, and we all do our part and play our various roles, sometimes well, 
and sometimes not so well. Yet even the Church of Jesus Christ is not perfect because it's managed by imperfect people. And sometimes this feels discouraging, truth be told, when we consider the ways in which the Church disappoints and fails, the ways in which it excludes and judges, either intentionally or unintentionally. However, hope abounds if we remember that the Church is always being shaped by the living God, the rock from which we were hewn, the quarry from which we were dug. As you know, <clears throat> the Church is experiencing a profound time of self-examination in these post-denominational days, as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who claim no denominational affiliation, are now the largest religious demographic in the United States, a group larger even than the Evangelicals or Roman Catholics. This might seem hopeless if we forget that the Church is constantly being shaped and reshaped by the living God, that it is a structure an institution with a lifespan, a structure that will one day crumble, as all structures crumble. But if the church as we know it or recognize it ceases to be, this in no way suggests that God ceases to be. God remains long after bishops and popes and cathedrals and basilicas fall apart. God remains long after heaven and earth vanish like smoke and people die like gnats. God remains, and when existing structures crumble, the breath of God will blow over this giant rock we call Earth and will begin again, ever creating. The eternal and infinite love that God has for creation, which includes Earth and her inhabitants, is stupefying. There is so much in our world today that tries to erode our hope as government becomes a reality TV show as our approaching election is met with suspicion as economy and education, and even the mail system shake and shudder as towns struggle under the devastation of derecho. However, remember with hope that God is eternally rebuilding and restoring. The creating work of God is eternally present even in these human institutions corrupt and feeble and broken as they may seem, working in and through the people who comprise them, people who are hewn from God, the living rock, people who are called into this world as living rocks to use our very gifts and skills as instruments of the gospel of Christ, that in and through us, others might see and know the grace that God pours out over all creation. The debate with my sons landed firmly on the verdict that rocks are not inanimate objects that simply sleep in the garden until the end of time, although they also argued that it often seems like this is exactly what my middle son Jacob is destined for. They decided instead that rocks are full of life and play very active roles in creation. As living rocks dug from God's infinite quarry hewn from the rock that is the living God, we have things to do before our short lives are snuffed out like gnats. How is God shaping you for good in this world? What kind of rock are you? Do you build walls or homes? Do you shatter glass ceilings or slay giants? Do you erect monuments or do you tear structures down? 
Do you adorn for beauty? Or do you call out the names of the dead? Do you build a warm heart? Or do you cause waves to crash around you? We as living rocks are called to justice, to speak, to act, to love without condition. We are commanded to forgive without restraint, to withhold judgment, to celebrate diversity. We living rocks, hewn from the living God, whose son are freed by Christ from enslavement to ego and expectations. Deliverance and grace and salvation are finally God's work, which include us, but do not depend upon us. God releases us into this world as living rocks, hewn from the living God who is constantly creating, shaping us through wind and water, by breath and baptisms.